Several years ago, I was in uh, Ghana, West Africa, uh, doing a conference with the, uh, the Methodist Church of Ghana. And Bishop Robert Abwajamensa, who later served on the board of TMS Global, was preaching on a Tuesday morning. And at one point in his message, he made a statement that stunned me when I heard it, and I have never forgotten it. I didn't even really need to write it down because it just, I think the Holy Spirit immediately burned it into my spirit and into my mind. He said this, he said, God does not have a mission for God's church. God has a church for God's mission. He said, mission wasn't created for the church. The church was created for mission. Can I get an amen? amen. Mission isn't just something we do as a church. It's who we are. Or as my uh, friend and longtime colleague Frank Decker likes to put it, um, missions is not a program of our church. Our church is a program of God's mission. My friends, mission is why we exist. On the side over here is a beautiful promise. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How many of you at one point in your life, at one moment in your life, have been reminded of and claimed that promise in a particularly difficult time? You said, Lord Jesus, thank you that you promised to be with me even to the end of the age. I suspect that all of us here at one time or another have, have internalized and personalized that promise. Grateful to God for Jesus' promise to be with us. Do we remember the context in which that promise was given? Let me read those words to you. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a pretty remarkable statement when you think about that. If anyone of us here made that statement, we ought to be locked up. But Jesus could say, not with audacity, but simply telling the truth. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, if someone comes to you this morning and says... Uh, uh, Sonia, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and I want to tell you something. What's your response to someone who has all the authority in the universe? You certainly pay attention, don't you? Um, he doesn't make suggestions. He does give orders. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and having been given that authority, here's now what I have to say to you. And it's to us as well as to the 11 who are gathered on that hilltop in Galilee. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to do everything I have told you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, let's not, uh, let's not embrace the promise but neglect the command. They do go hand in hand. I want to suggest to you, based on those words of Jesus, that what we're dealing with here this weekend and what hopefully 
is central to our life together every time we gather together is not about us. It's not about us. Now, certainly we celebrate the ways in which God uses us, whether it's, whether it's at dinner church or whether it's in Thailand or in whatever capacity God uses us. We rightly ought to celebrate that. But in the midst of our celebration, let's remember this is not about us at all. It's about him. It's about him. And I find myself thinking, what does a life look like? How does one live one's life when they recognize uh, it's not about us, but it's all about him? I think one of the finest examples I see of such a life is the life of the Apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 15, he shares a bit of his personal testimony, his own story, if you will. And it's, it's a splendid um, depiction of how someone lives their life when they recognize it's not about them, it's about him. Let me read just, just verses 17 to, to, 20, uh, to 20 of Romans 15. Paul says, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So, Paul writes, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition, he said, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. When we recognize that our life itself is not about us, but as followers of Jesus, it's about him, we begin to live in a new way. And if we live rightly as we ought, then we ought to live like the Apostle Paul, who first of all understood that his life was about his purpose, not Paul's own. See, when he met Jesus, when he was encountered by Jesus, when he was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed, including the direction and purpose of his own life. And Paul came to understand that his life needed to be reoriented around the purposes of God. And so Paul begins in this passage by saying that it was uh, uh, the only thing he wanted to talk to them about was what God had done through him in leading Gentiles to obey God. Now we could camp out there for quite a while, but suffice to say that if you know anything about first century Judaism, you'll understand, you'll know that though God had raised up uh, the Jewish people to be a light to the nations, by the time of Paul, by the time of Jesus, they'd pretty much abandoned that calling and understood that their relationship with God was just their own special deal. They had pretty much neglected, forgotten about, maybe even rejected their missionary calling. But you see, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, all that changed. And I think he began to remember some of those uh, passages from, the, uh, from their scriptures, from what we call the Old Testament. Remember how God told Abram that he was going to bless him, but that the blessing wasn't just for his own sake that he was going to bless him to bless others so that ultimately all the nations 
all the nations would be blessed. I think Paul remembered that uh, Solomon, when he was praying that amazing prayer that you read in 1 Kings 8, dedicating the first Jewish temple. And let me just pause to say, if there was ever a moment in the life of a of a, of a Jewish person or the Jewish community that was really just for them, you would think it would be the dedication of the Jewish temple. I mean, yes, they had a missionary calling, whether they paid much attention to it or not, but certainly when they were dedicating their own temple, that was a moment just for them. But in, in 1 Kings chapter 8, in the midst of an amazing prayer which Solomon prayed under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's in the middle of dedicating the, the first Jewish temple. And in the middle of his prayer, these words begin to come out of, his mouth, out of his mouth. As for the foreigner who doesn't belong to your people, your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for surely men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched hand. So when the foreigner comes and prays towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and know, may know that this house I have built bears your name. You know, you read those you read those words and you say, how did the foreigners, how did the Gentiles get into that prayer? This is the Jewish temple. But even in dedicating the Jewish temple, praying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Solomon understood it wasn't just about them. That God's purpose was bigger than their own people. God's purpose embraced all the nations of the world. And we could go on and on through the Old Testament. And in Isaiah 49, one of those great servant passages where Isaiah is prophesying really about the coming of Jesus. He doesn't use his name. He's referred to as the servant of the Lord. And in the middle of that, the middle of that prayer or that prophecy, Isaiah prophesies this. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Just going to Jacob and Israel would be too small a mission. No, he said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, if we had two hours instead of a half hour, I'd just keep going and going because it's, it's almost in every book of the Bible. The fact is, from the very beginning, God's purpose has always been that all the nations, pentata ethne, ethne, what does that sound like? Ethnic. That God's intent was that all the peoples of the world would come to know him and love him and worship him. And when we come to recognize that this thing of being a Jesus follower is not about us, it's about him, the first thing that changes is that we begin to live for his purpose rather than for our own smaller sidetracked purposes. I heard a pastor say one time, another one of those statements I've never forgotten, he said, I don't fear failure nearly as much as I fear succeeding at things that don't really matter. I wonder how much of our life we pour ourselves into succeeding at stuff that at the end of the day doesn't really matter and neglect the thing that matters the most. It's about his purpose. But when we embrace that and when we set out to be on mission for this one who we call Savior and Lord... Master, king, 
The second thing we recognize is it's not about our energy. It's about his power. It's about his power. Did you notice what Paul said? That this work he was doing in leading the Gentiles to obey God, he did by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you set out to reach your community, your neighbor, across the street or to the ends of the earth. Your best shot isn't enough. Giving it your best effort, that's, that's laudable, that's commendable, but it's not nearly enough. When we go out as servants of Christ, embracing God's purpose, oh, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Paul wrote the church at Corinth, he reminded them of, of his first visit with them. And there's some interesting words in, in 1 Corinthians 2 that honestly don't square with my mental image of the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's the guy who's been shipwrecked a couple times and beaten with 39 lashes, which is one less than death, a couple times and imprisoned and, and you know, this bold missionary to, to the nations. You imagine him as this fearless warrior for Jesus. And yet Paul describes his time at, the, uh, at Corinth. He said this, when I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I don't think Paul was just being, you know, rhetorical. I don't think he was being humble. I think he was just telling it the way it was. He said, when I came to you, he said, I was, I was weak, I was afraid, and I was trembling when I came to Corinth. But he said, my message and my preaching weren't with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. He said, what I did, I did in the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, you and I, if we're going to be faithful in in living a life that's focused on his purpose it will have to be lived also by his power that means putting ourselves in a place where the holy spirit can fill us and work through us in ways that we never imagined some years ago about 15 years ago there was a ywam team do you know ywam youth with a mission there was a ywam team serving in amman jordan they had felt um, compelled by the holy spirit to take one Sunday and spend it in a day of fasting and prayer just to get God's direction for the next week. And during that day of fasting and prayer, two of these young YWAM missionaries felt impressed by the Holy Spirit that that next week they should stand outside of a particular mosque in Amman and just talk to people about Esau, about Jesus, every day. And so they did that all day Monday. All day Tuesday, nothing happened. All day Wednesday, nothing happened. All day Thursday, no prayer letter to send home saying, you won't believe what happened this week. We've been standing outside of this mosque talking to people about Jesus and throngs of people have turned to Jesus. Nothing happened. Thursday night, a young, a young uh, Jordanian man who had been blind from birth and who because of his blindness as a young adult still lived at home with his parents, went to bed like he had every other night of his life. Except this night he had a dream, and in his dream a man named Esau 
Jesus, came to him and told him that he was going to give him his sight. And when this young man woke up the next morning, for the first time in his life, he saw. What he had dreamed about had taken place, and he was no longer blind. Now, if you were that young man, how would you respond? He was elated. He immediately aroused the family, shared with them the dream and what had happened. They shared his elation, and then he said to his mother, he said, this Esau, the one who had spoke to him in the dream, and that's simply the Arabic uh, name, the Arabic word for Jesus. He said, this Esau, who is he? His mother said, I don't know, but there's two young men that have been outside our mosque all week talking about him. Maybe if you go found them, they could tell you about him. And he went to the mosque, and he met those two young men, YWAM missionaries, who introduced him to Esau. See, it's not about us. It's not about our ability. It's not about our power. It's about the Holy Spirit, who has all the resources he needs to do what needs to be done. He just needs people who will put themselves in a position to experience it. You say, well, how do I experience that? I, I love the promise of Jesus. He said to his disciples, talking about the Holy Spirit one day, he said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, I look at my grandkids here and I love to, I love to give them stuff. I do. Jesus says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids and your grandbabies, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who help me, to those who ask him? You just have to ask him. You just have to say, Lord, I want to I serve you, whether it's with your next door neighbor, whether it's right here in the church, whether it's across the street, whether it's halfway around the world. I, I want to be used by you, but I haven't got what it takes. Jesus said, just ask me. I've got all the resources you need. Just ask. I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an amazing thing that the God of the universe would come and live inside you, would transform your life, would do the work of Jesus through you? That's what he wants to do. The third thing Paul recognized is that when he got out there, what he had to share wasn't his own stuff. It was his message. It was his gospel. Paul said he had fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to, to Illyricum. It's his message. It's his gospel. It's the only message we have. I mean, the world doesn't really need our stuff. I mean, praise God, we, we ought to show all, every expression of compassion we can to needy people. But this, this business is not about people that have stuff, sharing their stuff with people who don't have stuff. I mean, that's a nice thing to do, but that doesn't transform anyone's life. It's the gospel of Jesus that transforms lives. Back in the early 90s, I was, at that time was the personnel director at, at TMS Global, and we had just joined a partnership to send workers to Russia to teach a course in Christian values and morals based on the life of Jesus in Russian public schools. Any school teachers here? I suspect if you went to the 
the Douglas County School Board and said, I'd like to introduce a class on values and morals based on the life of Jesus, you'd probably get a thumbs down. But after the breakup of the Soviet Union, the Russian Minister of Education asked for exactly that to be done in Russia. And over the next five years, thousands of uh, people, young and old, were sent to Russia to do exactly that. Well, we were in the process of recruiting our first team to go to Russia to do that, and we assumed that those, that team would be made up pretty much of young men and women who had just uh, graduated from college, who would take a gap year after college, spend a year in Russia before coming back home and either going on to grad school or landing their first good job or whatever. And one day my assistant, Janice, came in and said, Dick, she said, we've got an, we've got an application from man, of a man who wants to go on our commission team. He has a PhD from, the, for, from Virginia Polytech. And I said, that's awesome. I mean, to have someone with a PhD want to join this team. She said, Dick, he's 84 years old. And I said, oh, that's not so good. And I said, well, we'll just have to think of a polite way to let him know it's probably not going to happen. Because, you see, we were sending this team to Khabarovsk, Russia. That's northeast of Siberia. I mean, it's, it's, it was a tough place to go. And I just didn't imagine that we would send an 84-year-old widower to, uh, uh, to, to Siberia or east of Siberia. Long story short, um, that was before I met TJ, Dr. Tom Horn. So fast forward to where Tom has been accepted onto the team, and we're at a retreat center just south of Hartsfield Airport where the team who had gathered from around the United States were meeting, meeting each other for the first time, each telling their, their stories that first night around the campfire. One by one, they each shared how God had worked in their lives such that they were there getting ready to go with their new colleagues to Russia for a year. Tom was the last to share. He shared how at the age of 69, he was in the hospital dying of cancer as was his wife in another room in the same hospital at the same time. He shared how one night God spoke to him. I don't recall if it was just a sense he had or if it was a dream he had. That part of the story has eluded me. But he said God spoke to him one night and told him that his wife would go from that hospital bed to heaven, but that he was going to be healed. And that's what, exactly what happened it was now 15 years later. He had spent those 15 years in short-term uh, mission work throughout the, 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 the Gulf states of the United States. But he said, when I heard about the chance to go to Russia and tell Russian school children about Jesus, at this point, tears are streaming down this elderly gentleman's face. He said, when I heard about a chance to go to Russia and tell Russian kids about Jesus, Finally, I knew why I'd been born. I was blown away. I want to say, Tom, you have been a follower of Jesus your, probably most of your life. You've been a faithful church member all of your life. You've held probably every position that a layperson can hold in the church. You've been faithfully serving Jesus for decades. And now you say you discover why you've been born you know, you're at, you're at the age you need to let the younger people go. You know, sit back on your easy chair, put your legs up on the ottoman and pray for them while they go. But no, not Tom. He was too passionate about this gospel of Jesus. He knew that message needed to be shared. And he went to Russia, had his 85th birthday in Russia, finished his year there, came home, 
four years later, couldn't stand it any longer and re-upped. Went at the age of 90 back to Khabarovsk, celebrated his 91st birthday in Russia. Why? Because he understood that the world needed this message that wasn't his message. It was his message, his gospel. And, it, and that was the focus of his life. Amazing, amazing. My friends, as you go, I don't care what your particular area of ministry is, whether it's in the food bank or if you're doing street corner preaching, we're all about, we better be about one thing, and that's telling people about Jesus. And then his priority. It's got to be about his priority. Paul said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I wouldn't just be building on someone else's foundation. That's kind of intuitive, isn't it? I mean, if it's about God's purpose that all the peoples of the world would come to know and love and worship him, if it's dependent upon his power to make that happen, if the central message is his message, the message of the gospel, then it just makes sense that he would want to send us to those who haven't already heard it. I mean, why just keep pouring water on watered ground? Why not take the water to the dry ground? Paul said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ wasn't known. There are 7.7 billion people on the planet today. 2.6 billion of them at least call themselves Christian. Probably not that many really know Jesus in a personal way, but if you ask them what their religion was, they would say Christianity. There are another 3 billion who are not followers of Jesus, would not call themselves Christian, but they've at least been exposed to the gospel. But that leaves 2.1 billion people. That's billion with a B. Was it the late Senator Everett Dirksen who talking about the national debt said a billion here, a billion there, pretty soon you're talking about real money? 2.1 billion people who've never heard of Jesus. We're like that young man in Mon, Jordan, who when he heard the name, all he could say is, who's Jesus? Most of us probably, how many of you were raised in the church? Most of us here. You probably learned John 3.16 a long time ago. You may have learned it long enough ago that you learned it in the old King James Version. Let's give it a shot. Don't look it up, just say it with me. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, we don't even read the King James Version anymore, but we've known that so long, that's still the version we have it memorized in. But do you know what John 3.16 sounds like in the language of billions of people today? It sounds like this. because no one's ever translated it into their language yet. They're waiting for someone to go. They're waiting for some congregation to stand behind the one who goes and say, we'll pray for you and we'll support you so that that precious verse that we learned as kindergartners in Sunday school could finally be translated in the language of people who've never heard that good news before. It's about his priority. Are we focused on his priority? And finally, then, it's about his provision, about his provision. 
Uh, I, need to, I need to keep this short, um, which is hard for a preacher to do. I told Tamlin earlier that often I take my watch off at the beginning and then say to people, you know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Let me wind this up. It's also about his provision. It's about his provision. In, in his uh, second letter to the Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about the Macedonians who were, that's the church at Philippi, they were, they were poor folks, unlike the folks in Corinth who were rich folks. And Paul simply shared how out of a most severe trial, let me quote him, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity he said, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I know what it is to, to be so moved that you get really generous and you give absolutely as much as you can afford to give. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I dare say, looking around me here, there are a few of you sitting out here who say, yeah, there, been, there was a time in my life where God moved in my heart in such a way that I gave everything I could afford to give. Paul said that's what the Macedonians did, but they didn't stop there. They gave beyond what they were able to give. How do you give beyond your ability to give? You do it by faith. Tamlin mentioned earlier a faith promise. Faith promise is not a pledge. A pledge is when I see a need, I look at my resources, and I hopefully prayerfully consider how much of my resources I'm going to give to that need. It's not what a faith promise is. A faith promise is when you look at the need, 2.1 billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus, and you say, all of my resources, all of our resources combined aren't enough to finish that job. But how many of you think God has all the resources God needs? Absolutely he does. Well, what if you were to say, God you have the resources, I don't. But I'm willing to be a conduit. I'm willing to be a vessel. And if you'll lead me, I'll make a commitment, even if it's beyond what you and I both know I have the capacity to do. And then I'm going to wait and see how you work a miracle and how you put in my hand the resources that weren't mine to start with and I'm just the conduit passing it along to something that you want me to be a part of. That's what a faith promise is. Giving God what we don't have. In a moment, you're going to have a chance to fill out your faith promise card. Take it there and, and just look at it. Faith promise is a special offering which you'll trust God uh, to provide out of his grace. In anticipation of God's provision, you'll give it. What you give is the promise. Whose job is it to provide? It's his job also. This has all been about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's saying, God, I'm willing to do even beyond what I'm capable of doing. But for that to happen, you're going to have to work a miracle. He does it again and again. And everything that God enables you to give through the faith promise will go towards the mission outreach of your church. And then a life commitment card. And in many respects, maybe that takes more faith than the financial commitment. It might take more faith to say, I'm going to 
I want to go on a short-term mission trip this year. I want to step way outside of my comfort zone. Guess what? Look at it on the wall there. He promised he'll be with you. He's not sending you alone. <laughs> Whether it's to dinner church or to fill in the blank. Pregnancy center. Tutoring in a local school. Helping an immigrant family. Applying to be a missionary. You're not doing it on your own. He's promised to be with you. I want you to um, just take a moment and just close your eyes or leave them open. Either way, it doesn't matter. But I want you just to ask God to speak to your heart. See, I believe God still speaks to us today. I believe the same God that spoke to Samuel in the middle of the night, a little boy, can speak to you and me if we invite him to and if we're willing to open the ears of our hearts to hear him. I believe God will put on your heart what you ought to write down on the faith promise card. I trust God will give you the courage to write down what he says because it might, it might move the, the decimal over one point from what you had thought about before you came here. You might find yourself saying, well, God, I, I mean, for me to give that, it would take a miracle. Hot dog. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome if God did a miracle in your life this year and enabled you to do something financially beyond anything you ever imagined? Wouldn't it be awesome if God did a miracle in your life this year and sent you on some kind of a mission that you never imagined would be possible? Wouldn't it be awesome if, if there were some T.J. Horns out here, 89 years old or 90 years old, and just can't stand it any longer and say, you know, by God's grace... And with the strength of the Holy Spirit, I've got one more good shot in me. Let's see what God could do through my life this year.